0: this morning we begin, if you would turn in your text of Scripture to Matthew 6. As we introduced the Lord's Prayer last week from Luke 11, we will be actually working out of Matthew 6 in our time for the next few weeks. As we approach uh, verse 9 through 13, as we have just uh, cited together, rehearsed together the Lord's Prayer, We will begin this morning to the approach of that prayer as Christ lists for us two things to avoid prior to the positive instruction of verse 9, pray then like this. I was thinking about this quite brass tacks of how things get structured in conversation. If you were to quite naturally teach someone something and you were earnest to communicate that. You would very predictably function the same way that Christ does here in Matthew 6. It is that you would include in your positive teaching or positive instruction what is to be avoided. In other words, positive instruction most oftentimes involves something negative. That is, You're getting ready to pass the baton to someone else in a particular task. And as you have labored, perhaps already introduced them, or they have watched you perform this particular task, your language inevitably moves in this direction. Now, be sure that you don't, or you say something along the lines of, now hang on, be careful not to whatever that is. With our children, we were having the pleasure last year, I think in the year before, we have a couple more coming up, of teaching kids how to ride bikes. This is a basic human necessity. If you don't know how, come by sometimes, we'll throw the pads on you and get you started in the backyard. But with that, I was thinking that is an exact time where right then, each one, you're thinking here is a basic remedial task, yet to one who is coming into it or approaching it somewhat roughly, or for the first time, we say to them, well, the way you want to turn the bike, you want to you lean the bike, but it doesn't stop there, right? Because the pedals are like this, typically. So when you lean the bike, immediately positive instruction. When you want to take that turn, now you want to lean the bike over. Now, don't lean too low. Or the pedal's going to catch the cement. And down you go. Now, what is the purpose for that? Well, it's quite obvious. Whenever you are instructing someone in something, anything, no matter the level of its intensity, no matter what, you're really wanting to draw the learner's attention to what is to be avoided. Why? To heighten the learner's senses onto the importance of the task at hand if you just take off on your bike and that's great with kids a little side note as they're riding right they take one 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 pedal if you if you start like this and you go like this in their minds it's over they know how to ride a bike that's it don't need your help anymore you know and bang down they go so it is that you want you know that that's coming right that i just i just I made a move here. Thanks, dad. I don't need any help. Boom. And so again, as they're going, you say, well, I'm not just going to tell you, just push off and go. I'm also going to follow up. Now be sure that you don't, or hey, be careful not to, because I want to heighten his senses or her senses to the importance of what is about to take place, lest we are at the dentist office in a matter of seconds. If you do that, you will get hurt. You will crash. Your teeth will break out. Maybe I won't get that graphic with them. Maybe we will. Depends on how cocky they are in the moment, how graphic the warnings go. But oftentimes then, in the teaching of a particular task, as you're working with someone coming in, even if it be remedial, as you're addressing the thought, and you're getting a feel for the learner. You think, I can push them over the edge right here. I can, I can, I can sure up this entire instructional moment. If I add to it a ready-made example. Or perhaps I can illustrate where this particular task of what I'm helping them to do has been mishandled in the past. Perhaps I tell the story about a friend who has two fake front teeth. A ready-made example, based on the pedal being too low and the bike being laid down too diagonally. Or another kid falls at the park, and I'm able to make a ready-use illustration. To the learner, to be careful, as you approach this task, It can be mishandled, Exhibit A. It can be abused, Exhibit A. Or it can go neglected. Care and concern can be avoided. And what is left is injury and harm. Considering prayer, moving from riding the bike over at the Osteola Park, moving into prayer this morning from Matthew 6. This is exactly how Christ begins his instruction to each of us regarding biblical prayer and its importance. He instructs us on its purpose and its importance. And how does he do so? Just as we would teach a child to ride a bike. We would first begin addressing what ought to be avoided or to key in on certain aspects to avoid, lest we mishandle, abuse, or neglect godly prayer. So this morning, that is what I would like to accomplish with you this morning, is what our Lord's instruction is in two approaches to be avoided in prayer. There are two, there are obvious two approaches to prayer that are to be avoided. Now, lest you take for granted, be careful not to instructions, as we learned this morning, the request of the disciples in Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray. Dad, teach me to ride this bike. Okay, what you want to do, now be careful not to, lest you mishandle, abuse, neglect, and injury, and harm await. So it is with prayer, Christ says, now, when you pray, be careful not to, Two approaches to be avoided, and then this morning I would like to finish with what is to then be sought. If there is two things that we will look at, don't and don't, or avoid and avoid, then what is to be sought? Prior to the uh, verse 9, the actual prayer that he provides us in his instruction, there is something there for us in verse 8 of what is to be sought in prayer, and then from what is to be sought in prayer, he then patterns a prayer that accomplishes this very thing in verse 9, following down through verse 13. So what we'll end with, again, two approaches to be avoided, and then finally in verse 8, what ought to be sought after in prayer. If I could get right started together, the first of two approaches. As I read what I jotted down for approach number one, I think it's kind of an awkward awkwardly stated. Nonetheless, I think you'll get the idea. Approach number one to be avoided is the approach of pretending. The approach of pretending. Again, I don't know I phrased that as clearly as possible, but hopefully it will make sense as we walk through the text together. What you want to avoid, in other words, that Christ isolates for us up front. Now, be careful not to... The first concern to avoid is pretending. How do we see that? Look at verse 5 with me, if you will. Verse 5, and when you pray, or as you're getting on the bike, now, as you're getting ready to go, what you want to be careful of, verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. The first consideration for us here about what we want to avoid regarding a pretending approach to prayer is the term there in verse 5, hypocrites or hypocrisy. Interesting here in the term that Christ uses is the term is actually a borrowed term from the context of the theater at that time. Those who were properly called hypocrites among us were those who were simply pretending. Now, again, we use the term a bit maybe along those lines, but again, it has much more of a sting as we apply it than its original setting meant. It simply meant someone who was acting. So, the term itself is not a pejorative term aimed at someone's lack of sincerity, it simply meant that you are an actor in a play. You're putting on your mask. You're playing your part in the carefully crafted play that is. Thus, the shock that comes here in the instruction, in prayer, is Christ applies this term, this term, term of simply acting in a play, so carefully orchestrated, for you to play your part, almost to the entertainment of others. He takes this term and he applies it in the religious context. Now it becomes clear what he's getting at. You must not pray like the hypocrites. You must not be one who's wearing his mask or playing his part in the carefully orchestrated context that is organized religion. Don't play your part. And as a good teacher who is supremely skilled, of course, Christ looks to a ready-made example. There's the kid. You see him crying to his mother. Look at the blood run down his legs. What I want you to key in on then is ready-made example, an illustration. It comes home. Then the kid is nervous on the bike. Now I don't know if I want to take that pedal or not. The ready-made example brings home what one is trying to positively instruct and guide the learner away from and unto a safe and sure approach. So he looks hear this term you pull it out everybody understands you put on the mask you play your part and he says the shocking moment is this is readily happening right here in the public sphere of religion you must not pray like this you must not be simply an actor in the play somebody says who is that who is that that is acting among us Who is playing the part? What do you mean? Well, look at the example. And so he drives home the point by applying it to the Pharisees. Look in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the actors, the hypocrites, those playing their part, for, for they love to stand. Now it's becoming clear he's drawing in this ready-made illustration, this ready-made example that drives home those who act. This is who they are. Who are the players here? Who are the actors? They're those who stand and pray in the synagogues. And at the street corners, there is at that point no doubt who Jesus now is drawing attention to as the great actors of the moment. It is the Pharisees, those who are praying publicly, and religion is a business. They are yet considered in this moment, as those are hearing this positive instruction, the warning of what to avoid, they know that he is drawing attention to those who are considered the religious elite. And he is simply blowing it down, saying, they are nothing more than actors in the great play known as Piety for some. They are simply pretending. The question at this moment for us that I would like to draw out of the concern for pretending in prayer, what is, if we look at the text, what is the principal part to play acting in prayer? What is the principal part? The text, if we look right into it, we will see very clearly something particular stands at the center of play acting in prayer. What is that? That we might look at it, zero in on it, and by grace seek to move it far from us what is the principal part it can't simply be if you pray in public right i'll tell you what it is it's anybody who prays in front of somebody else we obviously know that is not the case it's anyone who seems to pray quite smoothly no we recognize that too is not the case it's because they're praying outside the church and the street corners those are hypocrites no it can't be that either So we recognize, what's at the heart then of the praying on the street corners? Of praying loftily, so eloquently in the place of worship? What's the issue of how one knows I'm simply play-acting? The answer is, acting in prayer is viewing self-objects in prayer. The answer is this, the principal part of play acting in prayer. This is in the heart, it's in the mind, in the consciousness, viewing all objects in my prayers. How do we see that? Look at the text. This is in the heart. They love that they my prayer. That's what they love about it. We cannot simply analyze another man's prayer before the Lord, another woman's prayer before the heart. And it is this, we know it. My interest in prayer lies with my interest in self advancement. It's a shared interest. I'm only so interested in offering prayer as so much as the return is an advancement of me as a person. How do we know? Because they love that. They love that they might be seen by others. That's what's going on. It's not the prayer outside. It's not the prayer in the synagogue. It's in the heart. It's the prayer and the approach to be avoided. is play acting. How do I know? Because what do you love about prayer? I love me. I love viewing how I'm going to be heard, or the audience I will gather, or the way in which I will, and then others will, and I love that. If that be the case, of the first thing to avoid, Christ then further says, At the end of verse 5, well then I say to you, they have received their reward. That is, since you are the object of your own prayers, it's you being you, and seen by others, being you, is your reward. You have it in full. The ability to have the audience just moved. Even if it be like one other person at the dinner table. You being you in that moment. Is your reward. Because you being you is what you're seeking. Thus, the warning, don't seek yourself in prayer. Don't, don't feed upon that love to be seen and heard by others. Because as you are first, therein is your terminal end. Your own reward is just you being you in a moment. We sang a few moments ago. How long, again, in that, in that song, Oh, glory be to Christ, it speaks quickly. It says, you know, you who uh, vanish at dawn. I, I forget exactly how it's, it's written out there, of course. Uh, something about your life is but a vapor, right? I mean, from Peter. And it vanishes at dawn. Well, that was it. That was it. That moment is even shorter of you being you. In that moment was your reward in full. Some person sharing in you being you. So Christ says, okay now, you're getting ready. Teach us how to pray. Okay, Well, as you pray, be careful not to be an actor in a play. Because you being you is your reward. But if pretending in the text... Pretending, play acting, being an actor in the theater is to be avoided. What then is to be pursued in prayer? I, I, I get it. So, okay, if I'm not supposed to lay the bike all the way down, how are I? Exist being a hypocrite. Don't play a part. Don't put your mask on and pretend and do your part. Avoid that. And that is in verse 6. Take off here. When you pray, don't do that. Now, what you ought to be doing is this. Go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who sees in secret, or who is in secret. And your Father, not a fellow man, not a fellow woman, not someone looking on at you being you, but your Father who is in secret will reward you. Your inheritance is with him, not a fellow man, not a fellow individual. So, what you ought to do is go into your room and shut the door. For what purpose? Why am I I moving away? Why am I isolating myself off from the street corner? Because it's an issue as he's addressing it in the heart. Pray to your father, pray to him. Don't direct your piety toward the passers-by. Direct it toward your Father. And your inheritance will be where with Him. Simply put, verse 6, what is it getting at? As it drives to the heart against what you must not love or thrive on with prayer, and that is you being seen by others. What ought I thrive on? About prayer, it is simply one term. Communion. What then should I pursue in prayer? And it is communion. Now, lest we get kind of out of balance here, and we think communion is therefore only achieved, if we were to parallel verse 5 and verse 6, and we think communion can only be achieved in the perfect hiding place. Yet again, the object of our prayer would be missed. If we find that the effectual nature of prayer is the best closet you can find, that will guarantee my being heard and rightly rewarded. It is not, again, be careful, it is not the significance of communion to be the perfect hiding place or... The significance of communion being how many people may know what I am doing or where I am at, or how few of people know what I am doing or where I am at. If we are doing that still, our gaze is set upon the wrong object. If it simply is gathering people or eliminating people, we are focusing on people. The object of our prayer The object of our faith is God in Christ. The effectual nature, the strength of my prayer is not my isolation. That is a faulty move, one among many, of kind of a monastic lifestyle. A series of bad choices theologically there One of which we could highlight quite easily here is you are not strengthened by simply being isolated. It is the heart that needs to be instructed. The object of prayer rightly put forward, what is to be pursued then in my prayer life? Communion with God. That is what is to be pursued. Communion significance, if I could clarify what I mean then by communion with God, communion in prayer, that is the significance of communion for God. As the greatest of all, that is communion. Who knows where I am? Or maybe just a couple of people, just in case I was, something was to happen to me, is guided. Communion significance is humility before of all rewards. He is its terminal end. Second of two approaches to be avoided, and then we'll end in verse eight with what then is to be pursued. Think through with me on the idea of the approach of wordiness. As you get going, uh, uh, be careful not to turn or warning. That which we are to avoid as learners, eager to receive instruction. Do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do. Don't do that. D- don't do that. Think that they will be heard for their many words. The second approach that is to be avoided is that of wordiness. And we, I, I kind of labeled it wordiness because of these simple two words that come together, or, or two phrases. Don't, uh, he says, do not heap up empty phrases... And then the very last statement of verse 7 is many words. So if you take this and put it together as one prohibition, it is stay away from wordiness in prayer. Now, if we put it all together, what do we mean by wordiness? Because again, we recognize, well, some people pray for hours. Or we've been with other saints, or we ourselves feel compelled to pray long prayers. Once you kind of get that bus rolling, it just keeps going. And, and you, you, you're, you're, you're rejoicing, you're strengthened. You can feel your faith being strengthened as an ordinary means by which the Lord does strengthen and anchor faith. Feed it is by prayer. So should we cut them short just to make sure we stay well within the balance of staying out of the prohibition? Staying away from wordiness? I better cut it off. I can tell I'm running long. End it. End it. In Jesus' name, amen. Because we, we said, I don't want to, and I don't want others to think I'm, so I got to make sure that I'm, and again, as we gather in prayer on this Lord's Day, if we do the earlier, we do the after, as we gather There must be a charitable judgment always extended one to another that we ought not sit and have as our object. If there's three people sitting in a chair right here and they turn and they pray with one another, their object must not be one another. Whether to preserve themselves from accusation or to advance themselves into a crowd. The end is is wrong. It will destroy the means. Rather, instead of eliminating words and phrases, as if the Lord is against words and phrases, or a word count is applied, it's a Twitter style prayer. Make sure it's only a hundred and whatever that is characters. Recognize that's not the case. Okay, then what is it? If we could put it together, it is this, perhaps viewing the grammar the formulas or the patterns of one's prayers as that which is efficacious in the prayer what 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 gives it oil to make it move how do i make sure that it is well received how do i structure it just so That consideration there is putting the end upon the grammar. Instead of maybe the end being you, it is now upon the grammar or the formula or the pattern and thinking that is what will give my prayer wings. I think that is what lights its fire. It's the formula. And if stay within it, you're going to have a good return. But notice, how do we know that that is what they're thinking? Look at this last portion, because, OK, well, I'll read seven again. Look, let's just put the text together. That has to be the concern. And when you pray, here's the warning, do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do or as the Gentiles do for, and here it is, the return upon the empty phrases. They really think that they will be heard because of them. You see, they they think the effectual nature of prayer is formula or pattern or the grammar that has power. And Christ is saying, Avoid such empty, mindless wordiness in prayer. It gets a bit darker than that. It's not that the calculation is simply, if I use the right formula and I'm approaching it in humility. I'm approaching it with A ginger heart. I'm kind of gingerly going about things here and I just want to be oh so right. So it's coming from a pure heart with pure motives. And I'm nervous about my prayer life. That is not the attack here by our Lord. It is much more that my interest in prayer lies in gaining what I want through manipulating God By the use of strategic babbling. I want this end. So so maybe my end is not the crowd gathering. But my end, of which would be my greatest reward and supreme of all objects, is not God. It is over here. It's not fellow men. I'm kind of beyond that. That's fine. I don't care what they think about me. Either way, it is what it is. For me, the end return is that. Gaining what I want. Whatever the return is outside, I want that. And the way in which I'm going to get it is by using strategic formulae, or what Christ calls babbling. I'm going to make sure it sounds so sweet it could never be denied. I'm going to make sure others around me just take stop of my advancement in the things that I want because I'm shored up to even concern them with the grammars not right, the patterning, your cadence is all broken. You need better babbling. That's how to get it. you got to say things God wants to hear and say them right in order. So Christ says, that's pagan. It's faithless. The object is still wrong. The wordy approach, our Lord says, as we gather, if that is our concern, attaining our ends, thinking the effectual nature is the perfect word strung together in order, Christ says that this wordy approach to prayer, as some sort of magical but mindless formula, must be avoided by God's people. Do you you get that... We could take both approaches that are to be avoided and simply say the object of the prayer is wrong. In either case, the object is either my own interest lies in being heard by others or my interest in gaining what I want and massaging it just so. Either way, the end is me. Biblical prayer has as its end, its terminal end, God boards. That is biblical. Those are the two approaches to be avoided. I said I would end my time with you this morning in verse 8 in prayer. What is then to be sought? So here we get to the, be careful now that oh, I'm taking off now. Here I go. Yes. be sought. What is the positive encouragement? What is the driving force as I approach prayer? Where is my, either seek man's applause, draw in the tears and the crowd in the audience, and those what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Does this help us understand what is properly sought by God's people in prayer? As he alluded to prayer. If you know what I need, and you will, then why do I have to, I'm, I'm not getting the idea here. The word that kind of stands out about prayer and its communion, recognizing, let me say this, God indeed, something we love to expound upon, confess, strengthen one another with together, is the sovereignty of God. So we recognize indeed, He does know. And he can provide and does provide. So the tension sometimes might be a statement like this well, then why am I praying? One quick note because he ordains all ends, does he not? And he ordains the means to the accomplishment and delivery of that end. So as he upholds the end, he upholds the means. Prayer is an ordained means by which he fulfills his ordained purposes. It isn't in any way a futile exercise. It is the means by which he has sovereignly orchestrated to accomplish his sovereign purposes. Well then, let's concern ourselves with the text just for a brief moment, one last moment. What stands out then about prayer that I'm seeking? And it would be transformation through communion. That's what I'm seeking. We, people of God, need to be transformed, God does not need to be informed. That's prayer. Communion. My cup is empty. And only you can fill it. It's communion. I want you to work in me. That's what I'm seeking on my knees. And in this blessed communion... My faith is filled, strengthened, encouraged, and empowered with you, my God, as its end. Prayer is about communion and transformation, not about passing information. Let's pray. Father, we hallowed your name here. We exalt you, even just stopping for a moment to consider that you are sovereign above all. You are the only sovereign accomplishing your ends in all of the earth, our small little micro ends and the massive macro ends of the universe. You are accomplishing all that you have ordained. Yet, you're doing so through and by means of prayer that you also have ordained. So Lord, we don't seek ourselves but hallowed be thy name in prayer, in communion, in all of the earth. Thy will be done as it is in heaven for your name, for your glory, for your kingdom transform our hearts. Give us, indeed, our daily bread. We do love you and give you great praise. Help us, please, we do ask, through the Lord's Prayer, that we would be a people who love godly prayer, want to gain and grow thereby, that we might be so transformed into the image of Christ for your glory and our joy. Amen. Let me ask you to stand as we respond.